Hello, and welcome to This is Gay, a podcast where we talk about the things that are gay in movies that seem like they're not gay. It is the rare podcast hosted by two white women that is not about murders. I'm Haley. <laughs> I'm Emma. Hello. And I guess technically today we are talking about murders because we are talking about the 2009 Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes starring Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. There was a misbegotten 2011 sequel that we probably won't really talk about. Only in rage. And, only briefly and in rage. Yeah, exactly. Rage and boredom. Yeah. Simultaneously, which is an uncomfortable sensation in the body. In the body. Exactly. Yes. And so... I wanted to start us off today by reading what I feel is like a piece of seminal film criticism from the New York Times review of this movie. It was written by A.O. Scott. Um, and I'm just going to do a dramatic reading for you. Mm, mm, so good. He says, best of all is the banter between Mr. Downey and Mr. Law, who is looser and more mischievous than he's allowed himself to be in quite some time. The mustache suits him. Speaking of which, the beard is Rachel McAdams. She's inserted into the picture in a pretty flouncy red dress to add a splash of color and dispel a few hints of homoerotic subtext. Holmes and Watson are longtime roommates with an Oscar and Felix routine of quarrelsome affection. Watson's engagement to a page of half-written dialogue named Mary sends Holmes into a snit of jealousy, which loses some of its interesting implications when Ms. McAdams shows up as a luscious thief named Irene Adler. Ms. McAdams, in any case, is a perfectly charming actress and performs gamely as the third wheel of this action-bromance tricycle. But Irene, though she figures in a few of Conan Doyle's stories, feels in this movie more like a somewhat cynical commercial contrivance. She offers a little something for the ladies who, according to airtight Hollywood corporate logic, are more likely to see a movie like this one if there's a feisty woman in it. And also something for the lads who, much as they may dig fights and explosions and guns and chases, also like girls, just like Holmes and Watson. They really do, in spite of the barely sublimated physical passion they manifest for each other in nearly every scene. Yes, from your mouth to God's ears, A.O. Scott. <laughs> he speaks for us so much. But does he, is the well, question. Yes, there's so much that I want to unpack about that. I barely know where to begin, except for to say that Action Bromance Tricycle is the name of our band, and we did it. TM, 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 I mean, TM. I regret, I regret we didn't make that the name of this podcast. Action Bromance Tricycle, that's the yeah. t-shirt. But so here's the question I feel like I've been turning over in my head when considering this film is, you know, so he mentions, you know, Oscar and Felix, which is like the odd couple, which is sort of like the prototype of this sort of like quarrelsome straight married couple. Long-term gay roommate, long-term roommates, yeah. Yes, not gay, like pointedly well, not. And the joke yes. is that they're not. And I feel like that's obviously what he's saying is that the joke mm. is that they're gay. And especially the idea that like, we have to throw in Rachel McAdams and she is not only intended to dispel the subtext, but mm -hmm. he says the, she kind of banishes the interesting implications. Like once Holmes has Irene, we sort of are like, oh, okay, so he's not gay. Hmm. And I guess the question for this movie is gay is, mm -hmm. is this movie gay? Yes. Does the presence of Irene... And a page of half-written dialogue named Mary. And a page of half-written dialogue named Mary. Also savage. Also, but also true. But Nothing also true. against Kelly Riley, who does mm -hmm. her level best. Always good, yes. Um, yeah, like, does, is this movie gay? <laughs> is, mm -hmm. I guess, on some level, the question. Yep. I realize that, like, we've sort of been throwing around a lot of character names and very little plot summary. Um, is there, I mean, <laughs> to my mind, there's no point summarizing the plot as such. Because the plot is bad and doesn't matter. It is fully incomprehensible. It's fully incomprehensible. And the thing about it is like, I mean, obviously, we should, there are things about character that we should talk about. We've been throwing a lot of character names, but also the character names are Sherlock Holmes, Dr. John Watson, Irene Adler, and Watson's sometime fiance and then wife, Mary. Um, I can talk about her, where she... From, from whence she derives in the Sherlock canon, <laughs> she comes. If, we, if, we, if we need. But basically- We'll like, definitely be calling upon you as the yes. local Sherlock scholar. Oh God. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said about the fact that the, the elements that are relevant to this conversation, like those characters are characters that you already know. And mm -hmm. what you, if you haven't seen the film, or even if you have, 
what your what we might be what we might be called upon to call the plot is a flimsy and yet overwrought fabrication involving Mark Strong and his perennial snaggletooth as the like charismatic leader of a Masonic style death cult who are interested in overthrowing Parliament. Well, they're going to kill Parliament, so yes, <laughs> overthrowing them by killing them. By killing them with a with a yes. chemi- with a chemical weapon. And yes. yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a whole sequence. It's a sort sequence. of pseudo steampunk vibe. Yes. Yes. Basically. Yes. In this very much, you know, um, in Guy Ritchie's vision of a kind of industrial under construction Victorian London, which is like very much the backdrop of the film. It's also, yeah, there's a lot of like Mark Strong swishing around in a very steampunk kind of goth. There's a raven squawking in the background, and he talks about living forever a lot. And it just sort of it dangles on the edge of you thinking, "Oh, the twist might be that this is like a Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell style like fantasy world, and in fact, maybe there's actually going to be magic." Like it lives in this sort of. In like, I mean, like most Guy Ritchie movies, it lives in this like world that's sufficiently slightly heightened mm. that especially once the sort of weird Masonic cult subplot right. is like rolling along. I think by design, part of you is like, maybe this is going to turn out to be real. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, in a somewhat, in an unsatisfying way, which is like why we won't go blow by blow through the details of the plot, because they're bananas. Like by the time that like, no, of course it's a con because this is Sherlock Holmes and this is about mysteries involving crime, not the supernatural. By the time it is, the function of the plot is explained as a con. It's the very end and it's a complete afterthought and it leaves so many gaps in the actual logic of how the plot happened that it's sort of just like, it feels so dashed off as a way to be like, no, 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 it's crime, it's crime, it's crime. Don't worry, it was all very clever. It's not the point. And really like, that's the thing here is that it really emphatically is not the point. Like it's a weirdly densely filigreed backdrop behind the actual substance of the film, which is about the personal relationships of these three to four people. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, in a well-written movie, we would have to talk about the plot anyway because it would have sort of thematic, metaphorical resonances for these relationships. But in this case, it doesn't. It just straight does not. So... You know what it reminds... You know what it almost sort of makes me think? Because at the end... The very 11th hour reveal that Irene has been working for Moriarty, who we never see. La, la, la. And it's tacked on in this way that makes you either feel like at the last minute they were like, hey, this movie's pretty good. We should add in a hook for a sequel. Right. Or it was like the thing that happened with one of the like Justice League movies or something where partway through the studio was like, no, no, we want to save that villain for the sequel. Come up with a new plot with a different villain from the footage you already have. And so they had to come up with a new plot and like sideline Moriarty in order to save him for the sequel or something like it's just it is absolutely absurd it's crazy and maybe I mean like hmm we'll get into soon I'm like well the actual substance of the relationships and the like yeah the way why don't we we, yeah why don't we move on to that and summarize really quickly the plot such as it is relevant yeah we begin with Holmes and Watson who already know each other and are in this long-standing sort of detective partnership. And at the beginning of the movie, we find out that Watson is about to get married and move out. In a very, I mean, the the timeline of the relationship is very complicated. They already have a place together, but he hasn't yet proposed, which makes no sense. He he and Mary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or he has, or he has a place that he is moving into and... And is telling people that she'll be moving into. That's right, because the actual plot, like the the thematic, it, it blew my mind how quickly it comes into play. Like one of the actual first scenes, besides the kind of establishing shot kind of moment of Holmes and Watson barreling in at the end of a, of a Mark Strong death cult escapade in order to set that up, like the actual first scene post like bust, which is the sort of prologue, is a random old man who is like a client of Dr. Watson's being like, oh, you're moving to your new like premises or whatever. Your colleague won't be moving with you, will he? And then there's like, of course, a a, like volley of gunshots from upstairs. And then Watson's like, no, he will not. And then that's, yeah. yeah. 
So that's like the driving interpersonal tension is like Watson's leaving. Holmes is transparently upset and jealous about this. Watson wants to sort of leave behind his detective life and enter into married life. And the or sort of does like, he? well, this is the, and then the subplot <laughs> sort of of the whole movie is Holmes trying to lure him back into yes. this case about Mark Strong and like coming up with continual excuses for why Watson has to participate, all mm -hmm. of which Watson gives into. I was gonna say, it's not hard. <laughs> he puts up like a token resistance in a Jude Law-ish way though. A token resistance, but yeah. I mean, I think when we were talking about it before, you made the, the excellent point that it's just a series, like the plot, the excuse of the plot is just a series of Holmes like devising ways to make Watson choose between him and Mary and Watson pretty much uniformly chooses Holmes every single time and I've got a lot of like I have some favorites in terms of like the evil machinations through which Holmes like makes this happen but it also isn't hard there is like a token resistance and then Watson is always like right behind him yeah I mean I think that that's I think you know we've pretty much that is the plot I mean <laughs> as the A.O. Scott review reflects like the opening premise is very mm -hmm. transparently Holmes is jealous that Watson is getting married. Right. And that is that. And Irene is supposedly the thing that comes in and sort of diverts us, again, from the sort of implications of that. And mm. the question on the one hand is, does that happen? But as we mm. pointed out, like, even if once, even once Irene is there, Holmes' yeah. focus is still on luring Watson back into their sort of detective bachelorhood. The status quo of the relationship as it's established at the beginning, I feel like it's important to like underline how kind of domestic and yet also witty and like colloquially flirty the, like the banter is gnarly. And as, although that's not the, the word that A.O. Scott uses in his New York Times review, I think he would agree, <laughs> that it's like the, the establishment of their domestic scenario is like, I mean, what can we even, what can we even say? It's interesting to me, yeah, I mean, to keep returning to A.O. Scott, he, I had misremembered that line at the end, which I quote constantly, <laughs> the barely sublimated physical passion for barely sublimated sexual passion is what mm. I always remember it as, because to me, it's not necessarily in their, like, body language towards each other. It's right. not like Newsies, where they're sort of gazing and touching. It's purely yeah. in the sort of level of complete familiarity. Yes. And like the yes. dynamic, the banter, as you said, that's the only word for it. Yeah, it is. It is. And the thing about it too is like also, also, you know what? Something I noticed. Um, I mean, banter, banter, and of course, they make a great. The film makes a great thing out of their shared possessions. Like almost every little snit, like every little like domestic spat that they have, has a debate about who owns something. I mean, obviously, one of our very favorite. Um, the scene in the the scene in the carriage when they're going to I think to see if Mark Strong has risen from the dead because that's a thing in this movie. Don't worry too much yeah. about it; it's incomprehensible. But when they're in the carriage on their way to that like kind of part of the mystery, having been called there by Scotland Yard, um, that's when they have the little like snit about the waistcoat, and it's post Mary dinner, which I'm sure we'll double back to. But it's when they're being passive aggressive with each other and. Robert Downey Jr. has that great line where he's like, he like pretends nothing is wrong and invites him to the opera. And he also, incidentally, one of the weirdest deliveries of the film where he goes, something, something is playing at the opera. If you have any cultural inclinations this evening and Jude Law is just being snitty. And then they have a fight about a waistcoat and he's like, I thought that one was mine. Uh, you know, or like that, that waistcoat's mine. And then Holmes says, I thought we agreed, it's too small for you. And then Watson throws it out the window. And then later they have the same conversation about the dog. They're like, you know. My dog, our the dog. The dog, my yeah. dog, our dog. Gladstone is our dog. Like that. The dog. <laughs> the dog, Gladstone is our dog. You know, like the fact yeah. that they have continual, like that is the tenor of how they share things and space. And mm -hmm. oh my God, when they're arguing about the waistcoat, Sherlock says, we have a barter system. Um, which yeah. is, which is well, just so like the mental good. image of the, I thought we agreed it's too small for you. It's like, all you can picture is the, yep. like, you know, undressing at night, looking at yourself like, in the mirror, like, does this like, fit me? Like, the other person, your partner's I'll take in the it. bed, yeah. like, looking at you, like, no, yeah. it doesn't fit you. Like, <laughs> no, it's I know. so intimate. There's just, I mean, intimacy, that's the yes. word, right? I yes. think it's not even that it's physical passion or sexual passion. It is intimacy yes. that 
is, I mean, and once again, we return to the sort of newsies question. It's like, it's not to say that same-sex friendship and deep intimacy is always right. gay. It's but. just that in this movie, mm-hmm. different from newsies, yes. Holmes, I mean, sorry. Yeah. Holmes and Mary are set up yes. as oppositions by Holmes. Holmes does this. Yeah, he, he does explicitly. He Mary's rival. Yes. Yeah. There's no sense. And so like the sort of expected, and we'll get to this, but it's like the expected path of the movie from that point is like a little bit like, is Watson going to choose? Yeah, who's going to win? Romantic love or same-sex love. And the fact right. that those things exist in, opposite, in like they are yes. set up as mutually exclusive is yes. what makes it so gay. Yes, I agree. And you know what's interesting that I've just thought of is the thing about Irene, because she is such a weird agent of chaos insofar as she exists, What's, what's interesting about Irene is that she, I don't think, because Sherlock is the one who sets himself up as Mary's rival, as you say, and is sort of like, I'm over here, she's over there, we will now commence the tug of war for Watson's domestic life, which is what the film is. Irene is never positioned as a threat to that domestic life at all. Like, Irene's reappearance doesn't mean anything. Holmes, like, it doesn't mean anything to Holmes's life. He's never going to move out and live with Irene because she's a stone-cold criminal, and of course, at his weird heart, so is he. And so the thing is, like, that that's never going to happen. Like, only marital domesticity can threaten the same-sex intimacy of the film. Like, Irene doesn't come into it because whatever weird shit that they have is completely separate, and I don't think that he ever regards her with as much... Um, I don't think he ever endows her with that kind of importance because she doesn't live in that kind of space. No, it's a funny thing of like, he has a picture of her. That's how we're supposed to know that she's important when she first reappears is that he has a picture of her that he tries to hide when she sort of randomly turns up in his room. Right. Um, and then when Watson finds out that she's been around, he like is relentlessly teasing Holmes, but there's definitely no sense. The vibe from Watson is like, oh, that's the girl that's smarter than you. He's like, he's yes. like, what could she want from you? A beard? A human canoe? A human like, canoe! Just, like, I love that line. <laughs> oh, she's here to manipulate you and take yes. advantage of you, as usual. Yes. Yeah, which I think is true, and it's sort of interesting. Also, like, I mean, there's so much, there's so much uh, nerdy palaver that I could get into about why reimaginations of Sherlock Holmes constantly insist on bringing Irene Adler into things as a character. And actually, I may go off on a tiny tangent about that because I can't help myself. The, I, I, as many Holmesians know, I would hesitate. To, <laughs> I, I would hesitate to use to use that term to describe myself, although. <laughs> Um, because there are lots of people who are really deeply and disturbingly fanatical about the Conan Doyle canon, but as everyone knows, Irene Adler only actually appears in one single story of the Sherlock Holmes canon. It's The Scandal in Bohemia. It's sort of nominally the first one, besides Studying Scarlet, which is a novel. And the thing about it is that she appears straight up one time, And the whole thing that all, like, modern interpretations of the stories constantly refer to is the fact that he's obsessed with her on some some level because she beat him, which is true in the sense that she is sort of the object of the case that he's trying to solve in Scandal of Bohemia, and then he thinks he's gotten it, and then actually she's weaseled away, and then she disappears to Europe with the man she's marrying and never comes back. And then she, like, you know, cheekily leaves him a letter and is like, I got you, la, 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 and then disappears. And people find that really interesting. And, like, he does keep a picture of her forever in a locked drawer where he keeps his cocaine syringe. Romantic. And people, (laughs) you know, it's just where we keep our important shit. But, yeah, like, people make a lot out of the intellectual respect that he has for her and constantly turn that into a romantic reading in new kind of interpretations of it, which is funny because it isn't romantic in the original story. It's just that he hasn't ever respected a woman <laughs> until Irene. <laughs> and, and arguably sort of never does again. Like, the, the, that's the actual significance of her position in the Sherlock canon. But people always make it romantic when they make movies about it, which is interesting because I feel like you can't create, like, I don't know. It always feels forced on some level because it feels like we're drawing on a well that doesn't actually exist. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's the idea that like, oh, well to be like a lead, a leading man, you've got to have your leading lady. Right. Um, 
I mean, it's interesting because Holmes in this movie is the only other, the only two women we see him interact with, except for a random street woman he hires to pretend to be a fortune teller. Yes. Um, in one very bizarre interlude. Obsessed. Are Irene and Mary. And yeah. he is a massive tit to Mary when they first meet. Yes. Um, this like dinner scene that we keep alluding to. Yes. John, yes. Why did I call him John? My uh, buddy John. Hey, John. Well, John. I mean, John. Jackie boy. Sherlock calls him John. <laughs> he does actually call him John. He does, yeah. But Watson. Mm-hmm. Um, makes Sherlock Holmes come to dinner to meet Mary, who he's going to be marrying. And evidently over the like months to years that a Victorian courtship lasts, oh yeah. Holmes has avoided meeting her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sherlock immediately seizes the opportunity to completely alienate her and make her storm out and ruins the entire dinner. And they both leave and there's like this sort of amazing shot of him like smugly and very weirdly aiming a piece of steak in his mouth <laughs> and like kind of missing. So good. But yeah, he like, he, she throws a drink on him before she leaves. And so there's this like panning away shot after Watson has given him like a, a darkly resigned look of Robert Downey Jr. continuing to sit at this table, like covered in wine in the middle of the dining room at the Savoy, just eating a steak dinner alone. It's very good. <laughs> it's really um, good. But it, it is interesting in light of what you've just said, because it's sort of like very shortly after that is when we meet Irene. Yes. And so it sort of turns it into like, no, no, don't worry. He's not sexist. It's sort of like the opposite of yeah. what Irene, what, or what you're saying Irene represents in the stories, right? Like yeah. she's the exception that proves the rule. Yes. He respects her because he doesn't respect any other woman. Yes. In this, it's sort of like, no, 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 no. It's not that he's sexist. He <laughs> likes Irene. It's just that he's right. jealous. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. And I mean, yeah, we meet Irene in the movie in a way that I always forget because I feel like you think of her first appearance when she like rocks up in his room and he's like, how'd you get in? (laughs) Um, We meet Irene when she appears in the crowd at a a, a bare knuckle boxing match. Here we are. Here we are again. (laughs) Which is then the scene immediately after the dinner. Yes. After the dinner, the first thing that Sherlock does, I remember thinking about this because we were, not to immediately date ourselves, but we were, what, 19 when this movie came yeah. out? And um, we, I remember having seen it, one of the things that I remembered kind of most like viscerally about it was the boxing scene, because obviously it's very visceral, it's boxing, but also like as soon as the dinner is over, whatever is wrong with him has to get worked out in a very physical way. Shirtless physical way. A shirtless, let's hit another man physical way. Also, flogging Molly's son. I was going to say, incidentally, a fantastic use of the Rocky Road to Dublin. Yeah, it is very, (laughs) it's a pointed feeling transition. And then also he bets on himself on Watson's behalf. Yes, he does. Because the next morning he says, I placed your customary bet. Also, Watson's thing about the gambling is is one of the things Holmes brings up in The Bad Dinner with Mary, where Watson is sort of claiming to be like, Holmes makes an allusion to it, which is, of course, rude and ungentlemanly. Well, so what happens is Mary is sort of being a little cheeky herself and is like, oh, I hear you're a detective. Those deductions that they make in detective stories always feel so implausible. And Holmes decides to demonstrate by deducing things about Watson. Right. Including pulling the gambling stubs out of his pocket. Right, exactly. And then Watson said, and then Holmes says, it's cost us the rent more than once. And then Watson says, turns to her and says, those days are behind me. And Holmes says, right behind you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so then Mary, like, it's funny because there's these little flashes of her almost having a personality, which I like have to mostly credit to Kelly Riley, I think. I I think Kelly Riley is a very good actor. Yeah, I think she's just doing a lot with a little. Yeah, but they just never kind of bother to excavate any of the little things that they allude to. So this is one such moment where she's like, oh, well, what about me? What can you deduce about me? Which is just like, either you're a moron yes, or you're trying to prove something. Um, yes. It's, it's weird that she explicitly asks him to sort of turn his, the full kind of searchlight of his gaze onto her. And then Watson is like, nope, not a bad idea. Like not a good idea. Let's not do it. Don't, 
And then yeah, she well, says, I have this other great, he's like, mm, and what? Sherlock's like, I don't think. And she's like, I insist. And he's like, well, she insists. The lady insists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he does it. And of course, finds some way to insult her in the process by insinuating that she left her poor former lover for Watson, thinking right. he had more money, right. which is not true. And she throws the drink and storms out. Right. I forget why we started talking about that. Uh, something, well, because I was talking about the, the weird, oh, the gambling oh, stuff. Oh, the bet, the gambling. The so bet. that's why his, that's why him sort of teasing Watson about his mm. gambling shows up, which if, right. is an allusion as well to the stories, right? Uh, yes, it is. I think that Watson has, um, yeah, it's interesting. That actually, maybe this is a great point for us to kind of move into a broader, like a slightly more macro conversation about this interpretation of Watson and, and this interpretation of Holmes in terms of like our kind of deep theory about like, because Jude Law does a very particular Watson. And the only reason that we're here in a podcast called This Movie is Gay talking about this movie, I feel like the only, the only reason that there is that there exists that kind of chemistry between these characters is really down to the way that Jude Law plays Watson, the way that the movie considers Watson, because this is a Watson that you can be in love with. You know what I mean? Like this is a Watson mm. with whom, this is a Watson for, like with whom that kind of chemistry is possible because the, the kind of popular cartoonish image of the kind of bumbling Watson is actually very much like a 20th century construct. Like that's very much from film. Do you know what I mean? Like Watson is not a moron in the stories mm -hmm. and he's not like, you know, explicitly, he's not as badass as Jude Law in this film by Guy Ritchie, but he's also no. like, he's an army. He's a, you know, he's a veteran and, um, very much able to handle himself, which is why he's constantly being dragged along on these, like, dangerous enterprises, is that Holmes knows he's not going to get killed. Like, he's very yeah. helpful. Well, in this movie, they sort of extrapolate that out in a way that doesn't not make sense of, like, Watson is very much the attack dog. Yes, And there's yes. lots of scenes. I always think of the last scene where they're down in the sewers beneath oh Parliament God, trying yes. to disarm a device for reasons. And Irene and Holmes are sort of looking at this device, trying to work out how to do it. And just in the background, Watson yes. is beating the shit out of like 15 goons. Yes, at the same time. Also, he has a limp as well. Uh, Jude Law does play him with the kind of like, you know, bullet in the leg sort of situation. This is, it's very much macho Watson. And also, yeah, I think that by contrast, I mean, one of the moments that comes to mind in my brain is... Um, the moment when it's before the really long fight sequence with the French giant, which we like won't even deal with, but it's like when they're in the poems, it's like anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen this movie and is listening to this podcast, it's just like, yeah, what? yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, guys, we don't have any fucking answers for you, and it's neither does Guy Ritchie. It's as chaotic as it sounds from Yeah, this. no, it's, it's just absolutely a realm of nonsense, but there's that moment when, when one of the great moments where Watson is like, I have to go have dinner with Mary's parents. And then Holmes very um, huffily is like, well, okay, okay, fine, okay, fine. And go then again, like, go, go, go bye, goodbye, fine. And so then he like trundles off to whatever building he's breaking into. And he starts, <laughs> he starts to like, Robert Downey Jr. sits down on the ground and pulls out like a, like a lock picking kit essentially and starts to very fussily, and if I may say daintily, mess around with some metal tools, doing a lot of jingly jangling. And it looks theatrical, but also completely like ineffective and he's just kind of prying away at the lock and then very suddenly the door gets kicked in from behind him and it's Watson who's like of course come along after all and is right there and then Holmes stands up dusts himself off and says uh it does what does he say he says uh it does make a, a considerable difference to me having someone with me on whom I can thoroughly rely and then they like tip their hats together and walk into this like building and proceed to do the like snooping that they're supposed to be doing so like that's the thing is that it's Holmes fussily like trying to pick a lock and then Watson's like I'm just gonna kick the door in yeah that really does epitomize the yeah. relationship and it's a thread I mean it's a thread throughout shortly before that right um they just oh what Holmes has given Watson his winnings from the betting and oh, yes. they're walking through this like sort of Chinatown limehouse area yeah. and Watson sees some guys playing some game and he like clearly is like mm? and Holmes is like don't do it and he's like yes, yes, yes you're right like it's this consistent yeah. thread of, yeah. like, also by the way Watson has a gambling problem so it's yeah. not I've been thinking I was about to make the joke earlier that like oh my god it's like the Jack and David dynamic back again but it's yeah. not because both of them have this element of sort of like unruly chaos and like 
best to not leave this man unsupervised because he will end up like mm-hmm. naked on a boat somewhere. Yeah, and this other man will end up spending all of your rent money on like ill-gotten bets in the street. And it's interesting because actually, yeah, I feel like I forget if it's the bet from the boxing match or whatever, but Holmes tries to give him money at some point and then Watson like makes some sort of little demural and then Holmes is like, actually, why don't I keep it for you? That'll be safer. And then he keeps his money in his own checkbook that's pretty married. Yeah. That's pretty married, y'all. And this is what this is making me think as you're saying this is like what makes the thing with Mary even more conspicuously nothing. Right. Is I this is so rude. I actually don't know who the screenwriter is. I looked mm. it up and instantly forgot. Oh, but whoever okay. they are. Yeah. Um why don't you look that up while I vamp? I will. Please is, go. Thank you. Um, they are actually so good at hinting at sort of subterranean intimacy, like from two conversations, yes. one with Irene and one with Watson about Irene. We understand the whole history of whatever the hell Holmes and Irene have been through together. And the details don't matter. We understand the tone of it. And similarly, yes. within 30 seconds of Holmes and Watson first exchanging dialogue, we know absolutely everything we know need to know about the nature of their dynamic. Yes. And it is clear they have known each other for ages. They are essentially married. Yes. And this is a writer who is capable of inserting shorthands for extreme intimacy and yes. deep shared background in yes. very quick and efficient and like very skillful screenwriterly ways. So yes. the fact that he cannot, does not, will not do that with Mary right. feels very conspicuous because he's obviously capable of doing that. He could, in that dinner scene, introduce yes. something that makes us feel like, oh, actually, Watson and Mary know each other really well. Yeah. Like, this is a great couple. Yeah. Which on one level makes you feel like, okay, well, is this like the sort of rom-com thing of like, she's the bad girlfriend who he has to get rid of in order right. to like retain his domestic bliss with right. Holmes? But that's also not what happens. That's also not what happens. Yes. So the screenplay is, of course, a co-write. The screenplay is Michael Robert Johnson, Anthony Peckham, and Simon Kinberg. Uh, and the story is Lionel Wingram and Michael Robert Johnson. So yeah, it's definitely, this is a writer's room film. But it's also interesting to me to note in the, in, I promise, the last piece of uh, superfluous Holmes trivia that I'll throw in the mix here. Mary Morstan is a real character. About halfway through the story is Watson does meet and marry Mary. He meets her on a case. Um, he meets her in the sign of four. Uh, she, she's a client and they um, save her fortune. They, they find out, this is pointless. He, they find out why her father disappeared and they solve the long mystery of like her father's untimely death, uh, which has never been solved. And um, What's interesting about it, even in the stories, though, is that once Mary Mary appears, I think Mary only appears once in the story where we meet her, and later we reference Watson having married her, and he moves out of 221B and goes and lives with her somewhere, we assume, and has a practice somewhere in the city, we assume, but um, it also doesn't change the tenor of the stories almost at all. Yeah. You know, like, her existence doesn't matter to the relationship, even in the canon. Which is another really interesting thing because it's like if you're interested in a story that's going to bring out the jealousy dynamic, mm-hmm. why not have it be the case where they meet her and right. Watson is falling in love with her over the course of the case? That's something I thought about a lot when we were rewatching it was like, if they wanted this to be about Mary, why didn't they just do the sign of four? And the answer, I think, is that the sign of four is a really good story and the actual mystery of it would not allow them to do the there would be too much story for them to get away with how much bullshit Sherlock and Watson they want to give us in the movie right the focus is not cannot be the mystery it's on their relationship and also I think if you centralize Mary then it becomes obvious that he's going to choose Mary and that that's the correct choice you want it to be something that's more narrowly poised and they are really just like heavily weighting the scales in front in favor of Sherlock yes the whole time not least in the fact that the plot itself only moves forward when they're together you need you as a sort of viewer are like come on Watson get with the picture we have to solve this case that is a really good point yeah I mean I think we've talked about this but I I think that is the sneaky reason that the plot makes no sense is that the story cannot be the point because otherwise the film wouldn't be able to do what it's doing I mean 
when we talked about it before, you raised a very salient point about why the story has to be so unfathomably bullshit. And I think the I'm answer is, say, yeah. You're giving them a little too much. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, I know. I think it's, it's, it's bananas in all the ways it's bananas and is not thematically relevant or even really trackable. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, I, I defy anyone to explain to me in like three sentences of coherent English what the actual story is with Mark Strong. But basically, yeah, I feel like it's because the they couldn't use the story from the Sherlock canon because they all make too much sense and they would distract from the thing that the movie is actually interested in, which is the disruption of this domestic partnership. Basically, yeah. yeah. I think that's exactly it. I yeah. still think that they could have chosen a much simpler and less ridiculous mystery. <laughs> Um, but yes. I think that that's exactly right. It can't be something that requires too much because in the end, Holmes does not really deduce anything. He no. figures it out through other means and by drawing on knowledge that we didn't know he had. And he basically also gets high as fuck and lies on the ground in the middle of a pentagram. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is... Something, I mean, and this leads to like our other theory about the two of them as a pair, which is that the yes. sort of opposition that is set up for Watson is very transparent. It's you can have a normal domestic life with Mary, who is a governess who can inexplicably afford the most gorgeous silk dresses Incredible. in the movie, even though she's a governess, and chaos life with homes where people are shooting off guns in the middle of your house and poisoning your dog. The dog's For fine. Yeah, he's fine. For anyone who hasn't seen the movie, the dog is fine. Um, it's a bulldog. It's really cute. He's <sighs> so cute. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, and so, like, you know, it's this really um, obvious and sort of, like, a standard opposition. Mm -hmm. And in a way, like, arguably, Holmes, I mean, I think we sort of said, like, this, uh, mm, 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 what is Irene for? It's not really the same type of opposition, but it is still, like, you have chaos life yes. of crime with Irene, and you have sort of lawful good... Mm -hmm. crime-solving life with Watson. Right. And if you get in too deep with Irene, you may get pulled into criminal enterprises. Right. In a way that is not um, in keeping with ethics and the law. Right. People always make comments. Someone does at least once in this movie, and people always do in any Sherlock Holmes thing. People always make the comment of like, wow, it's really good for the general public that you're a detective and not a criminal. And there's like that potential in his nature to sort of darkly skip over the line just out of like, sheer I don't know like just for fun basically is kind of that potential is always on the table so yeah I feel like that is very much the thing of like our yeah that was one of the main things that we noticed I felt like when we watched it back this thing of like Holmes and Watson work perfectly for each other because they are balanced like they're set up right. as healthy opposites whereas each of the women in their own way is like Mary is an even more to the left kind of um, respectable civilized version of Watson who will be a civilizing force. And Irene is like, you know, like a fucking stone cold agent of chaos, which is not what Holmes needs. Like, because like the, the, the history that's implied, as you said, in some fairly deft screenwriting between Holmes and Irene is one of just like continual betrayal and casual violence, which is like that moment. One of the great lines I feel like is where um, she they're having a they're having tea I think in the first scene where she appears, and then there's that little detente that always happens in such movies when people are deciding whether or not to drink the tea in case it might be poisoned, and she says. Um, she says, why are you always so suspicious and drinks the tea? And he says, should I answer categorically or alphabetically? <laughs> and in that same conversation, there's a moment where she's reaching to pull an envelope out of her, like, dress. And he just yeah. instantly grabs her wrist and, like, Like, it might be a weapon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she's just like, please. Yeah, so, she, yeah. yeah, like, that's the thing. Also, later in the movie, like, lest we forget, she does drug him and leave him in a hotel room. Yeah, so, you know, he's right. He's right. To not trust her. Yeah. But it is, yeah, it's this thing of, like, on, on the sort of sense that every mainstream film is always pushing its characters towards heterosexuality, Yeah, what it's saying is you need the partner who's more like you. Mm. And then what the sort of structure of the movie is saying in the sort of gravity of, like, no, we want them to be partners and remain partners is, no, you need your opposite. You need the person who's going to balance you. 
Yes. Not the person who's going to pull you too far into a very sort of like narrow life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like you made a good point a while ago about the fact that like actually the plot only functions when Holmes and Watson, those complementary opposites are together. Like Irene essentially like shows up to vaguely instigate the mystery, but it's already instigated when she arrives and she sort of functions as an accessory that like doesn't have an incredibly like, like, Irene doesn't push the plot forward, even though she is tangentially involved. And Mary functions as a, like, stoppage to the plot for a lot of it until inexplicably, like, stuff happens in the sort of final third that's sort of inscrutable and some people explode in a warehouse and there's, like, a whole lot of shit. We'll, we'll, we'll get, get to we'll that get minute, there. because I think yeah. that's important. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's like they are the sort of only engine of yes. the plot moving forward. Exactly. But as you say, there's a sort of shift. Yeah, Mary's an obstruction. There's this amazing scene where, you know, things happen. They both end up spending the night in jail together. The which best gives way to scene of the film. The best scene in the film. <laughs> um, do we need to pause there and discuss this scene? Yes, we do. Yeah, we have to. It it's should the be the breakup scene, but it's not because they instantly get back together after. 1,000%. The Holmes and Watson, we mean, just to be incredibly clear. Yes. Holmes yes. and Watson's breakup scene. Yes. Yeah, I feel like we do sort of have to discuss that scene because that's after, yeah, go ahead. So they've been arrested for, I mean, they, they fight they fight the giant, they fight the French giant and we say giant, we mean that literally. We do. And they sort of wreck a shipyard in the process and presumably for that reason get arrested. And the scene begins with them sort of waking up the next morning or rather yes. Sherlock wakes up and Holmes is like, I mean, Sherlock wakes up, Watson, right. why do I keep saying this? Yeah. Names is writing in his little notebook. And he's just like, I have decided that I'm insane for staying with you all these years. Like, you have ruined my life. You're the worst person. Yeah, he says, he's, he's like, I've been consulting my notes and I've concluded that I'm like psychologically disturbed or something is what he says. Yeah, he's like, because why would a sane person stay with someone like you or with someone who treats me the way that you treat me? Yeah, he and then his litany of complaints is mostly domestic his litany yes. of complaints is like you I, you I you deliberately pull me into situations where you withhold information from me and oh my god he says and then Sherlock says something about him complaining and then Watson says when do I complain about you practicing the violin at three in the morning or your mess your general lack of hygiene or the fact that you steal my clothes yeah it just begins it, it instantly diverges into their marital their tip. marital and issues that's the thing about like the dog our dog, my yeah. dog, the dog. Yes, yeah. Uh, my rooms, our rooms. Yeah. 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 Um, it's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. And it does sort of feel like Watson is like, what's, there's that great moment where Watson lays out all of this stuff and then Holmes is like, you, you feel deceptively, like, we even Watson calls his bluff where Holmes is like, no, I understand. I understand. You're, you're tired. You're very tired. And then Watson is like, I don't think you do. And then Holmes is like, you know what we need? We need a vacation. My brother has a country house and he like invites Watson to the country in the same breath. And then Watson's like, that's very nice of you. Like Mary and I will go to the country. And then Holmes is like, well, okay. If Mary has to come with us, that's fine. And then Watson's like, no, I'm not going to go to the country with you. Like it's, that's the whole issue. It's brilliant. And then Mary shows up and right. only bails out Watson. Right. Of course. And so what it's this perfect sort of like, it's building to like, there's this fundamental lack of understanding. And right. then Watson's respectable life comes in and saves him from the situation right and leaving Holmes is left behind right exactly leaving Holmes in the kind of perilous chaos of his own making and then off they right. go yeah but then later in the movie there's like this scene in a warehouse literally nothing in this plot makes sense but anyway there's a scene in a warehouse the warehouse blows up and Watson is injured in the explosion right, right. and Mary sort of goes to the hospital or like we cut to Mary in the hospital kind of visiting him <laughs> yes. he's like unconscious on the bed and makes no sense she very quickly realizes that this bearded German accented doctor <laughs> gazing at him is Holmes in disguise. Yeah, we love a disguise. We love, we a, love disguise. a disguise. <laughs> but why? But it's sort of, they have this weird like thing where he's trying to pretend she obviously hasn't figured it out. She has obviously figured it out and sort of takes him down the hall. And right. she says, you care about him as much as I do. That is the line. And 
there's sort of this detente that's reached from that point. She sort of gives him his blessing, her blessing, and is like, go capture these people. And then like, yeah. Watson shows up again. And it's, it's clear that Mary has like told him that Holmes was there. So clearly she has given her blessing to him kind of rejoining the case and rejoining yeah. Holmes. And it's sort of like over, you know, Watson's prone body. They yeah. sort of like find They like reach ground. an understanding, yeah. A like sense of shared ownership over him. That's exactly the word. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely that. And it's very, very odd because she has been like a, a literal pointed obstruction to not only the plot continuing via Watson's, you know, involvement in the case, but also the relationship that we mm -hmm. care most about in the movie up until this point. And then we injure Watson in a convenient pig factory explosion. And um, it takes an accident to Watson's like person. And then mm -hmm. this weirdly subterranean and like unarticulated, but fully embodied like understanding between them where they're like, now it's fine. And then I guess because we need the final third of the movie to happen, Mary's fine with everything now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically, but it is, it does sort of, on the one hand, it's argument against the idea that the true plot is their relationship because mm -hmm. we resolve that plot before the sort of like third act. Right. You know, okay, new plan, let's, you know, defeat the bad guys and setting the plan into motion. Right. And then the sort of next we see of her, it's the kind of epilogue feeling scene where they're like, look it, we're getting married and, you know, Holmes is fine with it. He gave us this ring, which... Uh, he stole from Irene. So excited to make fun of you about this. Uh, so sorry, I just have to throw this onto the, I have to throw this onto the record that when we were comparing notes about this movie, Haley was like, we were discussing the, the thematic implications of the final moment, uh, the final epilogue scene. And she was like, well, and it's interesting that he also like buys them, gives them the wedding ring that they use. Like the, we're like, yeah, the ring that Watson gives to Barry. And I was like, that's the diamond that Holmes steals from Irene in a very conspicuous <laughs> moment. It's like she's... a really, it's like a honking huge diamond. Like... Yeah, it's enormous. And also, yeah, the tracking of the diamond is that in Irene's first scene in the movie, in a slightly flirty because it's concealed in her clothes moment, Holmes mm -hmm. goes, is that the Maharaja's missing diamond? And then pulls a chain like up off of her neck that like was not visible in the dress. So how did he notice mm -hmm. it? And then when later when she's like in a vulnerable position, i.e. handcuffed on the top of a bridge, which we'll get to, he rips it off of her neck and then later gives it in set into a ring to Holmes and Mary. Or to I mean, Watson we don't and see Mary. him giving it. It's, you know, Mary's like, oh, is, Watson, is Holmes okay with it? And Watson's like, look at the ring he gave us. And yes. we sort of pan, zoom in on the ring, which I was like, that's a weird shot. It's because for non-stupid members of the audience, it is the reveal <laughs> that that's what he did with, with the, the diamond, diamond. That he stole from Irene. But if anything, that enhances my point of this, yes. what we are ending with is not, the sort of return to heterosexual domesticity that that implies, but no. rather this sort of weird thruple where he has <laughs> supplied the wedding ring. The whole thing through the movie is that like Watson hasn't officially proposed because he hasn't found the right ring. Right. And he never does. Convenient story. Yeah. Gives it to him. Yeah. He never actually overcomes this self-imposed obstacle. It is supplied in the end by his boyfriend. Wait, I and have to I have to pause on what a brilliant theory that is. Wait, sorry, that's so good. That's so oh, that's a devious. Yeah, that's very good. The fact that like his own his own like self-imposed obstacle to proposing to her is that he doesn't have the right ring, which is like, okay. And then he never actually does. That's kind of, sorry, just to, had to throw the brakes oh. on that because it's genius. Yeah, okay, carry thank you, on. Thank you, And I'm happy to bask in the adulation. Mm, please. Yeah, so it's, he gives him the ring, which he stole from his supposed other love interest. Like, it just <laughs> becomes this, like, Gordian knot of, like, <laughs> this is not a normal, no. like, two-person monogamous situation. This is an intensely complicated web of, like, symbolic and literal Mm -hmm. 
obligations to each other. Yes. Sort of all filtered through the symbol of this ring. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, and... And it's, if in, with the idea that, like, it's, you know, Watson has said from the beginning, you know, the case with Mark Strong, he's like, that was my last case. I'm done with that life now. And at the right. end, it's abundantly clear that, no, now we've reached a status quo where he mm-hmm. can both be married to Mary and continue right. with Holmes. Right. Exactly. It, yeah. Does, he doesn't have to give up the sort of homosocial relationship for the heterosexual relationship. They become sort of via Irene, who becomes mm. the kind of third wheel in there solving the case, mm-hmm. like capable of a thruple. C- capable of a thruple, the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the polycule. Yeah. What, we've be- what it's become is a successful polycule. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because the way, let me just touch on briefly that the way that we get rid of Irene, <laughs> because when things finally come to a head in the insane finale of this plot, which is Mark Strong delivering an address to Parliament, expecting his mysterious Moriarty-supplied machine to gas everyone who isn't a follower of his who took the antidote, question mark, in a previous scene. Like, it's just like, this is not how anything happens. But, um, but while that's happening, and they're in, like, the sewer beneath the Houses of Parliament, um, like, fighting with everybody in the world. It ends in- And trying to disarm the machine. Trying to disarm the machine. It ends in a kind of chase scene where basically we end up with Mark Strong and Sherlock and then Irene in a sort of standoff on one of these- under construction bridges which have been this like motif of the film visually we finally end up up there mark strong falls to his death i think i think it is and um mark strong falls to his death and um you know in 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 poetic justice accidentally hangs himself and classic villain fashion where it's like technically sherlock didn't kill him yeah, technically, where you're sort of like, I guess we'd be uncomfortable with Sherlock shooting this guy, even though usually we're not uncomfortable with Sherlock shooting people in, in you know, in the real, in the Holmes canon. It's okay. You can, for justice, for self-defense. Um, so it's but, fascinating where that line gets drawn, like which heroes are like, let's find a way for him to not murder To this not person. kill this guy. Yeah. Well, he, so Mark Strong is dead, and then we end up with... Irene, also very unclear to me how the sewers underneath the Houses of Parliament come out at the bridge like 30 seconds later the geography is confusing but thinking about it even for the length of that no. sentence is more thought than it should be allowed yep so we end up on the top of the thing and then um somehow yeah long story short the final conversation between Sherlock and Irene takes place where she is physically um you know like disabled by having her hands tied behind her back and she's just sort of sitting well, so on what this happens bridge, in this yeah. fight scene to sort of like, you know, in classic, I've got the girl you, you, that you love fashion, Mark Strong right. pushes her sort of off the bridge. Oof. And then when the fight ends, we sort of see that, oh no, she hasn't fallen to her death. She's fallen to like a slightly lower level, level like a platform right. thing and is unconscious. Right. So then we sort of cut to her waking up and while she was sleeping, <laughs> Holmes has handcuffed her. All's fair in love and theft and sexy time, but yeah, basically, Which I guess is what she did to him when she drugged him. So yeah, yeah so I guess you know, it's kind of it's a uh, just you know, it's a tit for tat scenario. But yeah, yeah, she wakes up and he's just sort of right there, and they're both kind of like bloodied and you know, um, post fight sitting looking. on this skeletal bridge. Yes, in in really true like steampunk wet dream fashion, where you're just sort of like ah yes, like the sky the- is gray. She's wearing like a waistcoat and these yeah. high boots and knickers like yeah it's very good it's very good also it's a, yeah it's a very very good outfit yes it's a luke it's a strong luke but uh yeah also can i just insert here that speaking of strong lukes i could have a whole separate thing about all of the things that sherlock wears in this film but um yeah there's a moment basically where apparently she's never taken that diamond off and <laughs> he he quite roughly rips it off of her neck. 
and, you know, sort of shoves it into his pocket and she has a kind of resigned look like, well, I guess that's fair. And she gives him Moriarty's name, which before he was like, who are you working for? Do you even know? There had been some chat about him and Watson being like, she seems scared of him. That's odd because she's a stone cold criminal. And so like, this is the thing that always happens. Someone whispers Moriarty's name and then we're kind of off to the races with that. But then this scene begins with him saying, um, like, uh, run off. I won't be chasing you anymore. And then she stops and says, well, I'm tired of running. And then we have this whole, like, then at the end of this whole scene, he just gets up, like, with the diamond and is, like, basically, like, bye, Irene, it's been fun. And then starts to kind of trot off. And then she, with tears in her eyes, because Rachel McAdams plays this, like, a real moment because she's a real-ass actor, Irene says, you'll miss me, Sherlock. And then he sort of doubles back and says, sadly, yes. And then gives her an incredibly chaste kiss on the forehead and then leaves maybe forever. Yeah, it's such a the sort of, I won't be chasing you, but I'm tired of running is like a setup for yeah. a romantic coming together, which Sherlock wholeheartedly rejects. Mm-hmm. And she knows it. Like she yep. is playing it like this is, this, this is, is the breakup scene. Like, yeah. yeah, as you said, she has tears in her eyes. She looks devastated and he just leaves her alone on this bridge. And you very much have the sense of like, it's, I mean, and this is why it's so unconvincing to me that it's like Rachel McAdams is the beard. It's like, well, she's the beard and it ends with him rejecting having a beard and returning to his boyfriend. Yes, that is exactly it. Yeah, that's the thing is that she's there. Yeah, there. She sort of puts it on the table at the very end there. And then mm-hmm. he's like, okay, well, no, like, yeah, the thing is like, well, I'm sorry you're tired of running, but I'm going to leave you handcuffed on the top of Tower Bridge, son. Like, I'm going to take your diamond and go. I left Watson down in the sewer. I have to go make sure that he's still good. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I mean, I think the entire Irene sort of thread is like, as, as A.O. Scott, to return to him, and that brilliant piece of criticism, um, says at the very beginning, like, you know, she feels like he calls her a, 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 a cynical contrivance in this film. And I think that he's not wrong. The thing about the fact that like, she's here because girls want a girl. And also because of course, guys want a girl, but mm-hmm. there's never, I don't think really ever any actual sort of sexual kind of frisson between them in the movie at all. Like the chemistry is, the chemistry is indicated by the fact that when she shows up, they reference a previous kind of romantic entanglement that they'd had. And then in the following scene, the scene where she drugs him and leaves him in a hotel, when he arrives, she's like bathing conspicuously and then is sort of just like half naked in a very posh dressing gown. And then you're like, oh, okay. Like the presence of a partially nude female body is indicating to me that this is a sexual moment, but he doesn't really play it as such and it never really feels successfully flirtatious no me. i mean if anything th- his complete lack of interest achieves the opposite effect which Agreed. is to say there's a partially nude rachel mcadams in the room with him and he could not care less no he does not give a single shit he's just sort of like <laughs> and then like you know he falls on the floor drugged and then wakes up the next morning and then like the sense of cheeky sexual hijinks is sort of achieved by the fact that apparently what happens after he um you know after he wakes up is that she has like taken his clothes she's stolen his clothes and left him naked handcuffed to a bed which like even that is played with this attitude of just like it's so goofy that you're like funny sexual in this it's just like Oh, Irene. No, I know. It feels like, it feels like a, like a cheekily rivalrous kind of, like, it's like an an endless one-upsmanship, but it doesn't feel actually It's a prank. It's like, this would be embarrassing for him. Yeah, because he'll have to call someone, which then he does, you know, and it's just like, yeah, which is quite funny. So like, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that, it's, it's almost jarring the emotional realness with which she plays that final moment, considering how, um, unseriously the story seems to take their connection. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's sort of like what I said about Mary. Like, there's a lot of ways that you could undertake a similar indicating. And she sort of, like, delivers some flirty lines to Watson at the dinner, but there's Mm. never any effort (laughs) or space to build something sexual between them. And it doesn't help that 
even though I'm pretty sure she's not, Mary Riley looks older she does. than Jude Law. And so yeah. I'm not saying like, oh, you should have had some like nubile 20 year old. Like that. No, gross. but, but like, she's very if like. Was, if you'd made Mary like incredibly hot. Right. Then you would be using a different kind of lazy sexist shorthand to say, well, yes. of course. But of course they don't and didn't. And also, as you say, the most, there's the only, like the closest to a, a piece of flirtation that you get between Mary and John, John, I did it too, um, is John, um, is when they're at the John? table. John, my friend John, um, when they're at the table and, um, and uh, uh, Sherlock is about to kind of demonstrate his detective whatever, and he says, take Watson, and she says, I intend to. But that arguably is directed as a weird proprietary thing at Sherlock. Yeah, it's a very odd vibe. It's, I mean, again, it's like, it's the sort of, it's the bad girlfriend in a rom-com vibe, the bad first girlfriend. Like, it's yes. possessive in yes. a way that, like, yes. you feel is meant to kind of raise our hackles a little bit. It is because instinctively, we, the audience, have been positioned to be like, girl, get out of here and leave our boys alone. Yeah, we're good, like, 15 minutes into the movie at this point. Like, we've seen oh, their dynamics. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's also just such a, like, it's like the icy blonde first girlfriend who's yeah. always, like, that's such the trope. She's very cold like, and spiky, too. She plays it very cold and spiky. Yeah, she has this sort of, like, really husky voice, and she's yes. like, John and I, and you're, she calls him John. She does call him John. Like, it's, they really are sort of hitting all the tropes of, like, this is the woman that you don't like, and yeah. you want to leave so that the lead can be with this guy instead. And yeah. obviously in a rom-com, that's usually a girl. Right. But in this case. But in this case. Not. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's where they could have made, I mean, again, it's like they could have given her and Watson a sort of sense of a shared background. They could have, I mean, it's, I like Kelly Riley. Like, I don't, I do I'm too not a being lot. like, she's gross. But it's like, they did not cast someone who either, who is going to give the sort of like warm, kind of blandly appealing vibes that would make the relationship feel like, oh yes, okay, we're supposed to be cool with this. I mean, not to keep returning to Newsies, but like Sarah, where you're just like, you're a nobody. Yeah. You're perfectly pleasant and I don't really have any negative feelings about you. Whereas they sort of go out of their way to make it seem like we're not supposed to like Mary and not supposed to be down for her and Watson getting together. No, which, I, yeah. Yeah, so then it just becomes, and it's interesting as well that like Irene in the I.O. Scott article is framed as the beard. Mary's not the beard. Right, that is interesting. I mean, I suppose that's kind of, it's because Kelly Riley is a less prominent feature of the film than Rachel McAdams. Right. I suppose, yeah, but it's interesting because, like we sort of said at the beginning, she's a much, um, Kelly Riley is actually a much more fundamental threat to the partnership than Rachel McAdams, because I don't think there's ever mm -hmm. any, I don't think there's ever any indication from the story or Holmes or anyone that Irene is interested in disrupting this partnership at all. Which I guess is why Mary can't be the beard because she's actually like the exception that proves the rule. Like right. she is the thing that it makes it gay by threatening to disrupt Ooh, it with yes. heterosexuality. The opposite of a beard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is the opposite of a beard? I don't know. Is there a word for that? The thing we'll do the, some research. That the thing that comes between the gayness and is like, nope, I insist that yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that you're like well, it's like the contrast. It's the like this right. is the nothing heterosexual relationship. This is the passionate relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you then need Irene to be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's very so have we have we talked ourselves around to have we answered the question, is it indeed gay? I think we emphatically have. I think, I think we have. that there's just no, there's no getting around the fact that in the way that Holmes and Watson's relationship is set up as being threatened by mm. the presence of women. Yes. And the presence of heterosexual marriage. Yes. It's not just a friendship that can continue to exist in like a slightly altered but sort of Mm -hmm. basically similar form. It's not just a business partnership that exists no. separate from their personal lives. It is no. something that is in direct competition with the idea that Sherlock is going to, I mean, why? That ah, Watson ah. is going to marry a woman. Yeah. And the resolution at the end of the movie is not to say, nope, he gets married. It's to say, 
nope, they find a way to stay together anyway. After yes. Sherlock spends the entire film saying, choose between me and Mary. And Watson, through his actions, tacitly says, okay, I choose I pick you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I feel like that is the conclusion. The emotional, like the implicit emotional conclusion of the film is, don't worry, the boys get to stay together. Only now Mary's here too, sort of. Kind you of. Know? Well, and because like literally the last shot is like, Mary's in the background. Yes. And we sort of, the like, um, Clarky, the random mm-hmm. Scotland Yard guy who sort of goes around, comes in and is like, there's a new case. And we sort of were like, oh, let's go. And we sort of forget that Mary's there. And they kind That's of That's right. Like, and the last line of the film is Sherlock saying, case reopened. Yeah. And then like, and all that that implies. Which is particularly funny because the sequel does not pick up that thread. It starts something completely different and new. And I was going to watch, so Emma didn't have access to this on any convenient streaming platforms. Only I had access to it. And I think I got like 10 minutes in. And then I was like, I'm so bored. I can't go on. I watched, I like, when I pulled it up on my Netflix, I was, you know how it's like, it shows you how far you got last time I'd gotten halfway through at some point in the recent past and like could go no further yes just bad it's just boring and like I didn't even watch enough of it to go into detail about why it's bad or what it's badness has to do with his gayness I just it's just boring yeah it is it's it's boring and I feel like the only thing that we can or need to say is it because I know we both saw it in the theater when it came out years ago in Grand Hope after having been so tickled by how gay the first one is The thing about the second one, I think all we need to really say is that they clearly learned that people liked the dynamic that the first one set up and responded to it. And so they decided to ladle a lot of it in, in the second one. And all I remember about it is seeing it in the theater and having this like visceral, profound feeling that they had understood exactly the wrong thing about it. And that like holding Mm. up a neon sign about like, look how almost queer this is and sort of pointing at it is exactly the thing that we don't want. Because what we want is like, I don't know, the, the sublimation of the tension is why the first one is good. And to point at it and then do nothing is much, much worse. Well, and it's sort of the exact thing that we've been getting at. It's like, yes, the banter is the sort of surface level, but it's also a structural presence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of, this is the theme of this podcast. It's like, it's not just about the way they look at each other. It's not just about the familiarity that their banter implies. It's that structurally, the narrative is placing them together. And I mean, I think, you know, they sort of gesture because the second one ends with this I mean it has like 77 different plots but the sort of final plot is the final solution Moriarty plot where they fall off Reichenbach or Reichenbach falls plot right yes and it and the sort of framing device we don't know this at the beginning is Watson sort of writing this post Sherlock's kind of eulogy reminiscing about the fact that like he thinks that Holmes is dead and he's obviously devastated by this fact and you're sort of there's something queer in that but it's like the structure is still very much not like the same kind of yeah uh, I mean essentially a romantic structure right right yeah I don't know I think we hit on it really early with the fact of like the, the the thing that it is gay in a different way than newsies which is about grabbing people by the tie and pulling them into a vaudeville which like mood forever but also it's like emotional intimacy is also gay (laughs) and like and very clearly as you said if they wanted to make us believe that Watson and Mary actually know each other they could have done that but instead they spend the whole movie proving over and over and over again how well Watson and Sherlock know each other and because it's Sherlock Holmes that's all we want we want Sherlock and Watson working together and if you're going to fight the inertia of everyone knowing that that's what they love about this story. You're going right. to have to work a hell of a lot harder than this movie ever <laughs> bothers to do. <laughs> Correct. And that's why this movie is gay. Is gay. And that's that. That's that. Thanks for joining us. We will keep going with this. Honestly, now the question is, can we be stopped? <laughs> Much like Holmes and Watson, we cannot. <laughs> we can never be stopped. No amount of apparent heterosexuality will stop us now. 
Thanks for joining us.